yet in the people's mind when Jesus said righteousness the scribes and the Pharisees were the ones that would have sprung to their mind these people are righteous so certainly if we're going to be kingdom citizens we need to look like them Jesus says no that's wrong your righteousness must surpass theirs or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven you won't be able to go in and you certainly won't give evidence of already being in if your righteousness is like theirs or if it doesn't surpass theirs So as we move on to our outline, let's first and briefly look at the righteousness of the Pharisees. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And if you'll stand, I'll be reading verses 17 through 20. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And as you stand, I also want to mention something. It's kind of brand new on our schedule. We'll be having a baptismal service on November 16th, Sunday, November 16th. We'll be combining with Crossway and then Grace here to uh, baptize several members of Crossway and several members of Grace. The reason that I mention that is if you have not been baptized and you are a believer, then that is a command of the scripture to you. And we'd love to give you an opportunity to join us for that service. So if you have questions about how that might work and how you could be involved uh, being baptized on that day, if you need to be, please let me know. I'd love to talk with you about that. That'll be on the 16th, November 16th. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Please be seated. Now, in our day and age, people are asking lots of questions. They're asking moral questions. Should we allow homosexual marriage? When, if ever, is abortion acceptable? We have social questions. How can we eradicate racial discrimination? Who will feed the poor and the hungry? We have political questions. Should we return to the principles of the American Constitution? How can the health care system be fixed? We have practical questions. Where should I go to college? How best can I advance in my career and still care for my family? And while all of these are important questions, There's another set of questions which are implicit in the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly in verse 20, which we will be studying today, that we need to ask before asking any other question. And here's the question that should be on the mind of all men, and really even on our minds this morning. How can a sinful man be righteous before a perfectly holy God? How are we to live as believers in righteousness and holiness when we remain sinful? 
How are we to live out the challenge of righteous living that Jesus lays before us in his greatest of sermons? And this is no idle question, because our text is clear. If we are not righteous, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So as I work through verse 20 today, I'll just give you a bit of a preview. I've decided to spend a little bit of time here to work on some theology, the theology of justification and the theology of sanctification. Really, Ron began that for me last week in discussing the Heidelberg disputation in working through the issues of can man come to God on his own? What does he reach with? How can he be declared righteous? And so we'd like to dig into the scriptures, really following, flowing out of Matthew 5.20 to see how these doctrines are related. The righteousness that comes from justification and the righteousness that comes from sanctification because there is a tremendous amount of confusion. And when we are confused in this area, all right, it can lead to uh, really shutting us off from the kingdom of God whatsoever if we mistake these kinds of righteousness or it can cause us really to disdain the actual kinds of righteousness that we are to live out day to day. So either of those things can happen. Now, what we'll see this morning really flowing along with the passage and the reason that Jesus really comes to verse 20 is that he perfectly, Jesus, perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament, and his fulfillment is the foundational work necessary for the true righteousness which is demanded of every kingdom citizen. Again, Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament, and his fulfillment is the foundational work necessary for the true righteousness which is demanded of every kingdom citizen. What Jesus says in verses 17 through 20 is that he came to fulfill the Old Testament. He didn't come to abolish the law and prophets. He believed everything that was in the Old Testament. He honored the Old Testament more than the religious leaders of his day, and certainly more than most religious leaders today. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And I mentioned about four statements, really, that uh, kind of summarize what it means that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. That is, Jesus' life and ministry fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament or laid the groundwork for their fulfillment. His life and ministry perfectly conformed to the proper interpretation of Old Testament commands and principles. Number three, Jesus' life and ministry bring a proper understanding of Old Testament commands and principles and how they're to be lived out under the new covenant. Number four was that Jesus' life and ministry bring proper fulfillment of the Mosaic covenant so that we may live under the new covenant. And remember that Jesus, in really fleshing that out in verse 19, he said, whoever uh, annuls even the least of these commandments, that is, sets them aside as unimportant, says that those principles are not important, says they shall be smallest or they shall be least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches these commandments will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So these matters, of course, are vital for us. And he really, Jesus now, as he moves to verse 20, he's going to lay out the challenge. If he has not laid aside the Old Testament law, if he, and so, or Old Testament in, in general, really everything specifically in the Old Testament, if he hasn't laid it aside, if he has fulfilled it, that is why he can say in verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven because they misunderstood righteousness and they misunderstood the Old Testament and they pursued it improperly. He says, no, you're getting it wrong. The Pharisees really are the ones who've laid this aside. They're the ones who are annulling the Old Testament. I come to fulfill it. I'm going to tell you how you need to do this in order to be actually righteous so that you might live as citizens in my kingdom. So let's dive into the text, verse 20. Again, we're going to spend several weeks here. I'm not sure exactly how long. We'll see how it goes. It says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, as Jesus transitions into verse 20, he repeats that statement, for I say to you, and he's going to say that a lot over the next verses in Matthew 5. You've heard the ancients say, but I say. 
So here Jesus again is laying the groundwork. These are my words, not contradicting or undoing or laying aside the Old Testament, but demonstrating to you how I and you are to fulfill it. I say to you that unless your righteousness, and again, righteousness is perfect conformity to the law of God. It holds that definition here. It generally holds that definition in every place in Scripture. There's a few places where we might look at something different, but generally here throughout this passage and the passages we will look at this morning, it is perfect conformity to the law of God, to the commands of God. Unless your righteousness, unless your practice of God's commands, His principles, unless it surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, surpasses is to be over and above, to abound, really to be, in this sense, to be of a different quality then. Not more than, as we will see, because the Pharisees had the wrong view of righteousness, but literally abounding or going above in the sense that it's actually effective. So your righteousness must surpass the scribes and Pharisees. And he lays out two of the... uh, major groups of religious leaders who would have been the ones who lived most according to the law or whose lives the the people looked at to say, that's what it looks like to follow God's law. The scribes were expert interpreters and teachers of the law. And really Israel had two kinds of them, civil and ecclesiastical. The civil scribes functioned like notaries. They were involved in governmental duties and other things, right? But the ecclesiastical scribes devoted their time to the study of scripture and they became its primary interpreters and articulators. And all throughout the New Testament, Jesus has an ongoing debate with the scribes and then the Pharisees, the next group. And we've, we've talked much of them, but they were the religious leaders who would have been most interested in moral living and living according to the law. And yet they were the ones also who had added multiple laws of their own and multiple interpretations of their own to the Old Testament law. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Yet, in the people's minds, when Jesus said righteousness, the scribes and the Pharisees were the ones that would have sprung to their mind. These people are righteous. So certainly, if we're going to be kingdom citizens, we need to look like them. And Jesus says, no, that's wrong. Your righteousness must surpass theirs, or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You won't be able to go in, and you certainly won't give evidence of already being in if your righteousness is like theirs, or if it doesn't surpass theirs. So as we move on to our outline, let's first and briefly look at the righteousness of the Pharisees. Uh, And really, this is fleshed out for us in Matthew chapter 23. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that in many months past this, so we'll see it again. But I just thought it necessary for us to understand how Jesus viewed their righteousness, because it's not directly mentioned here, and we haven't talked a lot about it. But first, Jesus was certainly not talking about trying to outdo the Pharisees in their pursuit of righteousness apart from Christ or the proper understanding of the Word of God. He's not indicating that the Pharisees were close. They were really close. They were almost there. If they just did a few more acts of righteousness, then they would be in. Everything Jesus says about the Pharisees refutes that kind of idea. He was talking about a different kind of righteousness altogether. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 23. I'm not going to move exhaustively through this text. But it is here where we get the most clear view of how Jesus considered the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. First, it was external. That is, the Pharisees and scribes performed external acts of righteousness that did not come from a true heart of love for God or others. Matthew 23, 25. And we'll be bouncing around within chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. I mean, he couldn't have said it any more strongly. He couldn't have insulted them with any, uh, with any greater insult than you look good on the outside, you're like whitewashed tombs, uh, inside you're full of dead men's bones, the ultimate in being unclean. He's saying, you are so interested in not touching dead bodies and doing the external facets of the law. You're carrying dead bodies around within you. Essentially your own dead body, the corpse of their own sinful flesh. So their righteousness did not flow from a heart that had been changed. It flowed from an attempt to obey commands externally. Also, their righteousness was partial. The scribes and Pharisees picked the commandments of the law that were easily quantifiable and that gave them the most ego bang for their buck. These are the things you can do without a changed heart. Or you can appear to be doing them. The stuff on the outside. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are things you should have done without neglecting the others. You should have done the things in the law. Everything that's there you're supposed to be doing at this time in salvation history. And yet you've picked the things that you can do without a changed heart. Those other things you can't even do. And so you don't try them because you have no desire. Tithing, mint and dill, well, anybody can go do that. But to be just and have mercy cannot be done with a dead heart. Third, their obedience was arbitrary. The scribes and Pharisees focused on the minutia of the law. They ignored the things that were really important. They focused on the things that seemed most important to them. Again, all the law was to be done. But their goal was to to strain things through. Jesus says in Matthew uh, 23, 24, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. He wasn't saying various portions of the law are unimportant. In fact, he was really simply saying you strain everything through your own mind and thought and you add things to the law that aren't valuable at all. Because he'd already told them the little pieces of the law, do those. 
But what you are doing is you're straining everything through your own understanding of the law and coming out with the things that aren't, God isn't even interested in at all. Your 30 or 300 other laws that you have added. Their obedience to the law, or their obedience was burdensome. The scribes and Pharisees presented the law as that which was to be obeyed in its entirety, but then they kept adding provisions that had the same binding force as the written commandments of Scripture. They thought that it was through these works that they would be made right in the end. Matthew 23, 4. They tie up the the heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They're unable really to present to them or provide for them what is necessary to have obedience at all. So their righteousness is nothing more than a burden. It is also condemning. You see, these good works did not make the Pharisees closer to the kingdom. In fact, these works of the Pharisees condemned them as not entering or unable to enter the kingdom. Matthew 23, 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Matthew 23, 33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Please, he is not saying you're almost there. In fact, he's saying you are under condemnation unto hell for the kind of righteousness and the way that you pursue that righteousness. Ultimately, then, it was destructive not only to them, but also to others. The unbiblical righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was destructive to the spiritual lives of themselves and of the people, and they masked their real need to have a true righteousness which comes from Christ, Matthew 23, 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. They, they had a signpost that said, no, not that, but our kind of righteousness, not a true biblical righteousness, which was, which was laid out in the Old Testament, but instead our kind of righteousness, which in fact kept people from entering the kingdom at all. Self-righteousness is devastating. It is destructive. It keeps people from the kingdom. And that's the self-righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It was hypocritical. The scribes and Pharisees taught the people to do one thing and did not themselves obey the very things they taught. Oh, externally, many times they would do those things, but it wasn't only internally they were sinful. It was in their actual lives they were sinful. So it wasn't like everything they did in their life was just right and was only on the inside. No, they told people to do certain things and then they never did them themselves. It was only that those things were done in secret. Matthew 23, 3. All the things, says Jesus, that they tell you, observe them because they sit in the seat of Moses. Those are the things that you're supposed to do. Therefore, all they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They aren't actually fulfilling the law. They're just trying to do that in your sight, the things that you see. Matthew 23, 28. So you too appear outwardly righteous to men. Inwardly, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Matthew 15, 7. You hypocrites rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. That's the next characteristic of the Pharisees' righteousness. It was extra biblical. You see, the scribes and Pharisees interpreted the existing commands of Scripture in unbiblical ways, and they added commandments to the existing biblical record, Matthew 15. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break, break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Notice what he says. Why do they break the tradition of the elders? Okay. Combining that or making that equal with the laws of Scripture. And he, Jesus, said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? 
For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother, and by this you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. There you have it. Adding things to Scripture and interpreting Scripture wrongly ends up with an extra-biblical form of self-righteousness, and it is that righteousness that they were most interested in. Anytime you move past the scriptures, the things that become most important to you are the things outside of the scripture, because that's what you came up with. Those are the laws that you added. And so you will find in places where legalism is rampant, that is the, that is the laws of men that become the litmus test for righteousness, not even the laws of God in general. Once we step past the law of God, where the focus always becomes on the laws that men have added or on improper interpretations of scripture. Lastly, and really what sums up all of this, is it was self-glorifying. It wasn't glorifying to God. Remember, Jesus said, do your good works, what? So that people may observe them and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The reason that the scribes and Pharisees did their so-called good works was so that people would glorify them. So that people would see them and glorify them on earth. The exact opposite of the very reason that righteousness is to be performed. Matthew 23, 5. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. And probably this is is most clearly seen, the idea of glorifying themselves, even in the direct presence of God or in prayer in Luke 18.10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. See, he is glorifying himself before God. I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So this is true legalism. It is deadly, it is dangerous, it is destructive, it is extra-biblical, it's all those things we talked about. It's a deadly snare because it caters to the deepest sinful instincts of the heart of man, and it blinds a person to his need for the salvation that Christ provides. That is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And therefore, if we are to enter into the kingdom and live within the kingdom, we are going to have a kind of righteousness, we are going to have to have a kind of righteousness that surpasses this, and in fact, is of entirely different character. For the righteousness required to enter the kingdom is fundamentally different from legalistic works righteousness that was lived out by the scribes and Pharisees. True righteousness begins with a right standing before God through the work of Christ and is expressed in right living for God through the power of the Holy Spirit according to the principles of the Word of God. Both of these aspects of righteousness were described and commended in the Old Testament scriptures, foreshadowed, as it were, with the coming of Christ being the fulfillment of how to obtain both forms of righteousness. And it was to this that the people were to look. They were to be looking for the Messiah who would true, who would bring about the ability for true righteousness, a righteousness that was first perfect in the sight of God through Christ and then, and then progressive in the sight of God through the Spirit of God and His Word but they missed it entirely. As they looked at the Old Testament, they took those commandments for themselves and said, what we need is a political savior because we've done all this. This righteousness is sufficient. The righteousness according to the law is enough. We don't need the Messiah as it were to do that. We need the Messiah to come and to bring a political earthly salvation. But Jesus said, I did not come to provide that salvation. I came to provide you the true righteousness, which you need. And he speaks of it here in verse 20. Now, 
I believe I'm convinced in verse 20 that when the righteousness there, right, is the the fulfillment of the standards of God's law, but I would say as perfected or as fulfilled in Christ. In other words, verse 20, I believe the righteousness speaks there of sanctification. That is true acts of righteousness lived out in the kingdom. However, in order to get there, and the reason that I believe that is because the rest of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is about how to live out actual righteousness. It's not about justification. Okay, that's saved for later. But here, right, before we can enter into it, before we can discuss that kind of righteousness, I think it is vital for us to be grounded in the righteousness of justification. That is the righteousness which comes on the basis of of Christ's work on our behalf. So I don't believe that's the primary focus of verse 20, nor the primary focus of the Sermon on the Mount. But in order for us to rightly understand it, and standing where we do in salvation history, having all of the New Testament, I think it's important that we go there first. Then we'll discuss next week, Lord willing, the righteousness of sanctification, and then we'll look at the comparisons and differences between the two. So I pray that by the time we're done, we'll have a clear understanding of how these right, this kinds of righteousness fit together. So first, the righteousness of justification. Right? I'm going to give a, a definition here in just a moment that is justification defined, but go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3 to get an understanding of this kind of righteousness. Philippians chapter 3. Remember, the gospels, or excuse me, the epistles are the explanation of the gospels. The things that Jesus says that he doesn't necessarily fully lay out all the implications of as he speaks in the gospels are laid out for us. All the implications and the truths are laid out for us in the epistles. That's why we read them. It's not contradictory to the gospels. Isn't Jesus had one gospel and Paul had another? And you'll hear much of that today. Paul had one, Jesus had another. We like Jesus' gospel. We don't like Paul's. He's, he's too legal for us. He, he defines his terms too carefully. Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus, through the Spirit, wrote the entire New Testament and Old. All, everything that explains it in the epistles is Jesus fulfilling or filling out what he said in the Gospels. Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever things, says Paul, were gained to me. And if you are doing our Bible quizzing today, you are doing chapter 4, but you will remember, I pray, chapter 3, that's why we have you memorize these things, so that as I say it, you'll already be, ah, I remember that. I remember that that's what the Bible says. And as you have later times to consider it, that those things will come back to mind. Philippians 3, 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having, here it is, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Law righteousness is not sufficient. It will never be sufficient. It can't ever be fully obeyed. And yet righteousness that is in the law will never be sufficient for salvation. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That is the righteousness of justification. So let's define it. All right, the definition that I would give, and then we'll flesh out a bit, is this. Justification, and really the, the, the Greek word is dikaioma, uh, which is to declare righteous, righteousness, and dikaio, which is, that's the verb, all right, the, the actual declination, declaration of this righteousness. Justification then is to be declared by God to be righteous on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ being taken hold of by faith. 
That's the best I could do. It's uh, trying to combine all of those things together, so it's a, a bit awkward, but I'll say it again. Declared by God to be righteous on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ being taken hold of by faith. It's a legal declaration by God that we are righteous. It is accessed through faith. It is on the basis of the payment for sin provided to God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross.